don't even believe Henry Kissinger fucked any of those women. No one in the 70s had sex. All they did was just like a man would be like naked in bed with his triangle tits out, <laughs> smoking a cigarette and being like, oh, you're a pretty fast girl. <laughs> And no, like, there's no P and V ever. No one was born in the seventies. It's a lost decade. People didn't, literally didn't know how to fuck because they just smoked wet grass that they thought was just fucking kill. They did shitty acid that was just like it was like those it was like um those dot candies. And because of peer pressure, they were just like, "Whoa, I'm, amazing, far, oh, I'm far out, dude." They were all just fucking disgusting. All the men looked like shit. None of the women had sex with the men. Uh, if someone tells you they were born in the 70s, they're lying. Unless they were like Mormon or some type of Christian or Muslim or, uh, you know, a semi-adherent Jew. And even then, you know, call it into question. Uh, Henry Kissinger did have two very powerful <laughs> pickup lines that would, you know, work at Studio 54. One was, of course... You know, they say power is the ultimate aphrodisiac. And then another time there was a woman asked him if he was a swinger. And he said, in my position, I must pretend that I am not. But if you could assume that I am, it would be okay. Oh, my God. I bet. I bet. I bet. Honestly, they thought it was the fucking Yellow River in there. The Yellow Wolf River in there. Uh, the way those pussies were flooding. <laughs> when this man who has been old since 1931 said that. Hey, man, Barbara Walters. Well, no, I mean, what am I talking about? Every woman on my timeline is like, Davos Seward needs to bend me over. <laughs> and he's a more handsome guy than Henry. <laughs> Davos Seward? What, what he said? Yeah. He says a really, really misogynistic slur. And all the girls the time. still That's, love him. I don't understand yeah. these women. Stannis cut his finger off for saying that, but he's like, I'm like, I like I still, you know, used it in like a funny context. So you're a knight uh, now. Shout out to the actor who plays Davos. I was yeah, uh, Liam Cunningham. Liam Cunningham. He's a big lefty in real life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if anyone knows him in Ireland, tell him to come to the Chapo show. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. You can hang out with him. So don't tell him I used him can, as an can... example of like an old guy that women say they want to fuck. I think you know. I think you'd be happy to hear that. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, he's a handsome guy. <laughs> Listen to the backtrack, Craven. If I was a woman, if I had a daughter, and she was me. I would fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of uh, handsome guys that uh, everyone wants to fuck, uh, Felix, I thought we'd kick off the show today. Uh, Matt and I uh, saw a film last night that I, we feel compelled to share with you or like tell you a little bit about. Oh, you guys finally watched Mr. Hands. <laughs> Close. It's actually more soul-rending. Oh, God. Oh, you saw The Adventures. No, no. We did not see The Adventures. We saw a little documentary that is now available on Amazon called yeah. Who is Arthur Chu? Awesome. The documentary made <laughs> about the you know meteoric rise of uh, you know Jeopardy champion and you know uh, GamerGate pundit. No, he is everywhere. Chu. Like you can't go anywhere without seeing. Like he's on Times Square billboards. Yeah, his too. moment is definitely here. It has not passed at all. No, it's good to take like seventeen years to make a documentary. Yeah, because in that time, about was one guy. Well, you know, here's the thing. You might look at it, and I know I, when I heard this was being made, I thought, "Who asked for this? This is a terrible idea." And then it came out two years after, and just there could be nothing less relevant. But then we watched it, 
And I ask to say, hand to God, it is riveting. <laughs> it is one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Not a joke. They get into, they get under the 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 top layer of of uh, residue and moisture on Arthur and get to a deep, tr- like penetrating analysis of him that is fucking breathtakingly harrowing to experience. Felix, it, like it, it, it definitely had like very strong Adam Curtis vibes to this movie. Because like, okay, like I'm mean, picture that picture this, Felix. Picture this, Felix. Some sort of like like ambient, ominous, like industrial music track playing in the background as the camera tracks like Arthur just like gormlessly walking around like a convention hall, like giving lectures to progressively smaller and smaller groups of people. Holy shit, this sounds good. Yeah, it's got it's got that Adam Adam Curvis ambient dread, but then it's this also said got Curvis. The- <laughs> Adam Purpose. Adam Curtis. Wet Melvis. The famous documentarian Wet Melvis. It's got that Wet Melvis sense of ambient dread, but then it has the fly on the wall, piercing observational uh, incisiveness of like a Maisel's Brothers movie. Like I felt like I was watching Salesman or something at some point. I, I don't want to. I don't want to belabor. Uh, go go too in on the Arthur Chu documentary, but like Matt, I think we should just share like each of our like what is like the one most memorable See, scene the thing from is, this movie. Is that I kept topping it. Like so, d- so d- give, me, give me one or two. Halfway through, there's a scene where he's having dinner with his father, and <laughs> his dad is a austere. Taiwanese immigrant who and very serious Christian is very as well. serious Christian who has raised two kids through three kids two of whom he's clearly proud of and one of whom he is deeply disappointed in in Arthur and he can't even bear he cannot withhold his his contempt for his own son and there's a scene where they have lunch and it's just him sort of like mild like criticizing him sort of not even sharply but just because he can't think of anything else to say so all he can think to say is like you need you should talk more slowly when you do your speeches like that was his big feedback on his first big public speech just some like tech fuck conference like the progressive tech epic fuck uh, you know lanyard con uh buckle buckle up shit birds because we're about to go forward not backwards update your drivers shit fucks yeah because uh yeah, it's 2019 and people are equal. Okay, it was probably 2014, honestly. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But but so all he can think to do is say you should speak more slowly, uh, and then they just like these big long dead stretches, and they're barely talking. They can't make eye contact, and then finally the dad just goes, "I have to go back to work," and he just cuts basically just cuts he, off. He the like meal. he ghosts Arthur halfway through lunch yeah. and pays for the meal, but leaves like like almost a full plate in front of him on oh the my table. God. And he's just like, yeah, I, I got something at the office. I got to go. And he's got a Chad brother. Oh, does he he, really? He's got a brother named Norbert Chu, who is not That's only a, a successful uh, uh, software engineer, you know, like, you know, he wanted Arthur to be, but also a good looking dude. It, he, he within his own family, he is the virgin to his own brother, the Chad. It's astounding, and his brother's like, I don't really get what he's talking about all the time. It kind of doesn't seem to me like such a big deal, like what the boob, the video game boob, boob, girl boob size is. I know I'm just trying to like you know have a life. Okay, well, people didn't like Van Gogh. <laughs> yeah, he was chased by groups of children out of Arles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. the local. He's very disturbed. The locals are very disturbed by him. And, yeah, uh, yeah. The children would throw stones at him. And look what he ma- he painted Mona Lisa, <laughs> and he built the Louvre. <laughs> 
I, I, dude, I'm so sad that the Louvre burned down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that prayers sucks. up. Yeah, prayers. Yo, prayers up for the Louvre. Uh, I, Mona, I, Le- yo, Mona Lisa will never forget you. You're up there with Paul Walker and Jasse. <laughs> Just well, one quick thing, and then my favorite scene is like the, the other, like to me, the most fascinating thread in the movie is the portrayal of him and his uh, oh, wife. Uh, all I'll shit. say is that the last like end title card to the movie, like right before they roll credits, is the phrase, and now they are separated. Yeah. Um, that the, 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 the keyhole view into his marriage is harrowing. And but the scene I want to talk about that was my favorite scene in the movie is that like, you know, after he's like making an attempt to become like a sort of anti gamer gate figure, he uh, gives a, uh, he does a panel at like a, a video game con that is held at the Gaylord Convention Center in National Harbor, Maryland. One of the so most he, beautiful hotels. Yeah. I've one of the most beautiful hotels and convention centers in the world. And he gives a panel on like uh, toxic rage and gaming culture. This was at the height of you know Gamergate, like twenty fourteen. Yeah, yeah. And you know, like the the organizer is just like, I want it to be known this will be a civil panel, and if you act up, like I'm taking your lanyard away. <laughs> so Arthur cool. uh, gives his spiel about Gamergate, and he's sitting next to uh, a woman who's like a, a university professor who like writes about these things, but she looks also sort of like into nerd culture. And, you know, Arthur does his spiel and then uh, like there's one mic at this panel for some bizarre reason. And he hands her the mic and she says, like, you know, I don't know what to say about this other than I personally feel terrified to be in this room right now. And like that says everything about Gamergate. So she says, like, I'm in mortal terror of the people in the audience. She says that Arthur takes the mic back from her and goes, wow. Okay, I'd like to open it up for discussion now. <laughs> he rocks. He's like absolutely oh, rocks. No, res- no reaction. At all like, like uh huh, yeah. So, what about questions? And then his wife. Yeah, the real footage is him and his wife. It's she is struggling. She's very unhappy. She has fibromyalgia. She's got a cane, and she does all the work in their house. She subordinates herself completely to to uh, Arthur's uh, dream of becoming a, a notable figure, a salon writer about video games. And so she does the cooking and cleaning, and she gets his stuff. While she's, like, walking around, hobbling around with a cane, and she'll just talk about how unhappy she is. And he just, like, there's all these scenes where she's either ironing or doing something and talking to him, and he's just lying on his back like an infant in a cradle looking at his phone, making, like, monosyllabic responses. And then there's a scene, the other most harrowing scene in the movie is she is talking to him about how much she's struggling and how hard she feels like she doesn't have a purpose. She doesn't know what she's doing. And she needs, like, she wants, she basically wants some sort of acknowledgement of of what's going on so that he can sort of help her. And he's across the table just staring at his phone. Doesn't look up for a second. Just poke a button to Brett and going like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. And, And she's like, so what are you doing? And he goes... Well, Steve wants to talk about a book project, so I might be doing that after Thanksgiving. And she goes, oh, great. Uh, Maybe I could help you with that. And he goes, do you need any help with that? And he goes, "Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) And then she just goes, okay, I'll just continue to keep running support on my end. Yep. Okay, well, that's trad marriage. (laughs) Alpha shit, dude. Fucking badass. I highly recommend the uh, Who is Arthur Chu. Yeah, uh, check movie. it out. I, you know, and again, if you think um, oh, we're, you know, we're being too mean to Arthur or whatever, he did on Twitter to public formally uh, baselessly speculate that all of us are guilty of sexual assault. Yeah. So uh, fuck him. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you well, know what? And it's like, he's an know, alpha. Like, yeah. You just got it's fucking him. cucked, soy boy. <laughs> dude, him, you and like that? him and Pope Hat are two of the biggest alphas on Twitter. <laughs> Pope Hat's fucking strong, dude. <laughs> he's jacked. He's hot. He's a good lawyer. I like his... I've never read his blog. I'm just going to assume the stuff that's on there. Right? It's probably like... Uh, it's Friday, so it's time for Law Cats. <laughs> and it's like, you know, cats behind legal books. And there's like, you know, a Latin... You know the Latin terms in law, like objectionists, and uh, it'll just be like a cat being like, "I, I can, I can has amicus brief," <laughs> and it's funny, and I like it. And he's not, you know, a six-year-old man who isn't that good of a lawyer. He's cool. I mean, that is on his blog. The other content that was on his blog were the uh, uh, musings on teenage sexuality by an insane neo-Nazi. All right. Th- well, that, that I don't know. I no blog. longer contribute to his blog, so. <laughs> I don't know why you bring that up. Um, yeah, so uh, check out that doc. And also, just as a pro tip, um, never allow yourself to be the subject of yeah, a documentary a that's about you unless you have final cut over everything that's yes. in the film yeah. because there's literally no way you will end up looking good. All right. No, that's a good point, but uh, can we like sort of like speed this episode along? I'm being interviewed by Isaac Chartner later. <laughs> <laughs> So that's our a little, little film review to uh, start the episode. Um, but uh, let's see what's what's going on this week. Uh, I guess the uh, story that sort of came and went immediately was uh, the New York Times got their hands on like ten years of Trump's tax returns from the eighties and nineties, and you know takeaway line: Wow, his supporters are going to feel like shit when they find out actually he's a terrible businessman and has done nothing but lose money. Check and mate. Uh, so that's happened, and now Trump's support has uh, cratered among... He's killed mag- himself. Yeah. Donald Trump, as of the time of this recording, has shot himself in the mouth. <laughs> because people know that he lost all that money in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, I, I did see a statistic that, that for the years of the, covered by those taxes, he lost more money than any other American taxpayer. All right, So yeah, that's but, kind of impressive. Okay, okay, okay. But if think about it, like... You're not thinking about this economically or business-wise or entrepreneurially. Uh, I'm not good at that kind of stuff. Yeah, you fucking honestly shit at it, and it's embarrassing to me as a professional slots player and businessman. But, uh, okay, so he lost the most money ever. That means he had it in the first place. Well, it's sort of like he never had, like he never lost $1.8 billion of his own money. It's just he caused that amount of losses for his various business ventures. And then, of course, you know, never paid, just moved the debt around in such a way that, I mean, the real takeaway from this is just like, if you're rich, there is no such thing as moral hazard or debt or like or any, rules or, or rules law whatsoever. or anything yeah, like, like there's two separate realities if you're then one is only accessible to the witch that's the story here it's not he's actually broke he lived in a gold-plated castle in the sky and had a new trophy wife imported from eastern europe on the fucking like fortnight he was clearly rich personally I remember, always i remember seeing an interview with donald trump like a long time ago or no it was an interview with ivanka uh, ivanka trump it was an interview with her like long ago before like there was any even speculation that he could, you know, <laughs> become president of the United States. Uh, she told a story about, like, you know, when his Atlantic City casinos went belly up and he filed, you know, for Chapter 8 or whatever, yeah. bankruptcy. He said they were walking out of Trump Tower with her dad, Donald, and there was a beggar on the streets of uh, Columbus Circle. And he said, uh, she said, uh, you know, my father turned to me and he said, you see that, see that guy? See that guy right there? Like, you know, He's luckier than me because, like, he has more money in the world 
than I do right now. And it's just like you're walking out of your golden tower <laughs> into a car. <laughs> he's like, that homeless guy, actually, he's the lucky one. He's literally just going to walk over to his like golden swan collection. <laughs> oh, I'm such a bitch. Fuck me. No, he, I mean, that's the thing, though. That is how real estate developer taxes work. I mean, wouldn't you know it, but the entire system is sort of game towards uh rich people leveraging themselves well their companies hundreds if not thousands of times over and if you look at any big real estate developers taxes it's going to be a similar story of them just losing untold amounts of money that they are not personally liable for yes yeah sometimes because it's like a tax offset you can sort of value things however sometimes and be like oh um you know, uh, this building actually lost $300 trillion. Uh, I don't know. We ran into a septic line or something. And so it's partly that. If you looked at, like, Jared's dad's taxes, you looked at, like, any Chicago developer, L.A., Austin, fucking wherever, you'd find similar things. But also, he fucked up pretty bad. He ate shit a lot, great many number of times. But it, there are no consequences for it. Yeah, it didn't mean anything because he was so deep in the hole that there was always somebody there to fucking give him more money. Well, yeah, that's if it. That's I mean, it's the oldest cliche in the book. Oh, somebody, if you owe the bank a hundred dollars, you have a problem. And if you owe the bank, you know, a hundred million dollars, they have a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's I mean, it is history repeats itself because isn't that just you know him as president? Yeah. I mean, I honestly, like all the people that thought, oh, you know, I bet this is really embarrassing to Donald Trump. I bet the, be the best take on this and why it won't matter even one whit to any of the people who support him or even the people who are on the fence at all about this. The best take, the Pope of New York Sports Radio, Mike Francesa, pointed it out exactly right. He may have lost all that money. He may have been a bad businessman, but he won the biggest prize of all. He's the president of the United States. Yeah, that's true. Done. It's done. We were talking about this. Like, Donald Trump may be the greatest celebrity in human history. No question. As like, a person, the, I agree. Like the best person who is no, ever a celebrity, I agree. The best celebrity ever. No one has ever done what he's done with it, Maybe, especially well, considering how meager the, the resume really is. He was, and like he Ronald was, Reagan became president, but he was like a politician before he that. He was two-term yeah. governor, yeah, governor of California, California. Yeah, the governor. biggest fucking state in the union. Yeah, and he was like, you know, successful as an actor. He was in the best movies of the time. The ape movie. People Bed, loved Bedtime for Bonzo. Yeah, Bonzo. The movie where he pretended to free Auschwitz. <laughs> After he really did it. Yeah. Newt Rockney, All-American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he about about the football player who died of AIDS. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it was cool when movies were just like, there's a swell guy who's a football player. <laughs> like, that's the plot? Okay. So, yeah, I guess like that's the other thing about uh, like the, the difference between being rich and wealthy is that like once you pass a certain level, like wealth means that there's nothing you can do. Yep. And there's no action which you could personally undertake and that will ever make you not rich because you have the connections because somebody else has a vested interest in keeping you even if it's just as a brand and a face which is what trump was for most of his career uh for for you know money laundering and shit and like like uh like offsets and all that stuff they would just use him as a pass-through and he was useful for that reason so he was never going to go anywhere no matter how much of an absolute dope he was and the funny thing is like it, you know the the money that his dad gave him was it like 30 million dollars yeah. to start out with if he had taken that 30 million dollars and put it in like treasury bonds he yeah. would be wealthier today just an index fund or like, something yeah. he would be Way more vastly money. more wealthy and successful than he is now but it wouldn't fucking matter and he wouldn't be president because yeah. he, like all that losing billions of dollars it allows him to pretend that he's a fucking gordon gecko business 
shark real yeah, estate. Yeah, that's how he became a brand. That deals became guy. Yeah, the and deals that's why, guy. That why he got hired to be the host. And of the that's why, apprentice. despite all of the fact that he's actually a really terrible deals guy, that's why all of his fans love him is because he plays the role. He is on of a TV sh- of an doing asshole. deals, so he's gonna do the deals. I mean, if you think about the perfect guy to run America as a business. Wouldn't it just be like a real estate developer who kind of sucks at it and then just gets into branding? Yeah. Isn't that just America? <laughs> That's the story of America. That Damn. The story of America. <laughs> he's the perfect man. And I mean that in every sense of that term. He's physically, a good person. He looks physically, good. He's a morally good person. A fucking Adonis. I mean, look at it. Like, he gave up his businessman lifestyle. To be, be mocked and jeered yeah, at. That's the best that's Trump That's the best meme. Trump. I love yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gave all he, that up. To become the most hated man ever. For us. Yeah. He's, yeah, like, he, he's like Jesus Christ. Basically. I love that. Just cut cut that to like the like Nelly Orr is disgusting. <laughs> what was the one? Was the one you found the other day an old Trump tweet where he was getting mad at a golf course because it was like the greens look terrible. Oh, it's an embarrassment to golf. Oh, well, this shows that he was senile in like 2013 because he's just tweeting directly at Golf Magazine, <laughs> Golf Digest, <laughs> Golf tweeting. Digest, and he's like, "This course is an embarrassment to golf," and he doesn't even say what course it is. He's not replying to anything. He's just adding fucking Golf Digest. There are so many. I found so many. I found. Uh, I feel very accomplished because I found the only Trump tweet that mentions Kate Upton. Really? Yeah. It's only one, and it's apropos of nothing. And he goes, "A Victoria's Secret rep was very nasty to Kate Upton, and now she's a big star." <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing before that about her. Nothing um, after. Do you think that was just him shooting his shot? <laughs> like someone, I don't know. Someone did this the other day. Uh, they posted it's it's like an easy thing, but like like you see it and it never doesn't get me. It's a still from like a Fox News or cable news of it's like it, Donald Trump sitting next to Tiger Woods, and the headline says President Donald Trump bestows Presidential Medal of Freedom upon Tiger Woods, <laughs> and someone said. What would like if you could beam that image back to just 2014 and show it to someone? Yeah, like instant like brain death. Instant, instant. Like you would go through the Stargate. Yeah, instantly. instant brain death. You would because that was at the yeah. time Donald Trump was one thing, but at that time Tiger Woods was mainly mainly known as yeah. the disgraced golfer who was just tweeting shit like "I'm gonna fucking come all over your big tits, yep. slut." Yep. The the best Tiger Woods and just getting way off prescription painkillers. You know the best Tiger Woods one was when he texts the woman at like six in the morning do you like golden showers <laughs> i'd like to have a threesome with you and a woman you trust it's like the birds are chirping buddy <laughs> but yeah no i mean uh it's shows that futures the wizard is the best album of our time because never st- like never stop never give up if you like your wife literally beats your fucking ass with a golf club because you can't stop fucking and you're gone off opana never stop if everyone knows you as like the shitty real estate guy who spent the last two years being like the Barack Obama failed his midterm project, <laughs> like never stop, never stop, uh, never give up. No one will believe you till the jets in the sky. Mm-hmm. And it's Jeff's jet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, here, here's another story of uh, this is a this is a, a character in the Chapo universe that we haven't checked in on in a while. And it, it also speaks to your point about like, you know, never give up, never just, give up, just keep doing you. You there know? are so many chapters like, in American you're, life. You're just gonna, you're just gonna keep. You'll just, you'll win eventually. Uh, this is about um, a Texas state representative and nemesis of Virgil, Texas, 
Uh, Jonathan Stickland, also known as Based Stick. Can we stop? Uh, we talked about three hot guys already. <laughs> this is uh, he God. got into a uh, a bit of a, a bit of a row uh, this week um, where he uh, was oh no he screaming at a soup <laughs> <laughs> spilled his roux. No, he was uh, screaming at a man about um, uh, mandatory vaccinations, and he just wants to let everyone know that like as long as there is you know gravy coursing through his heart, <laughs> uh, you will never ever have to get your kids vaccinated in Texas if you don't want to. And I just found a, a write-up of this courtesy of like awesome politics website, Big League Politics. So you know it's good. That's the one that did the the, the Hunter Kelly accusation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Big League Politics. Yeah. It's, the, it's, it's an offshoot. They're sponsored by Big League Chew. Right, exactly. And it's, like, it's like, you know how Mel Magazine is just Dollar Shave Club? Yeah. Big League Politics is the Big League Chew yeah. uh, you know, media brand that they use to sell their sort of uh, fake uh, shredded bubblegum like tobacco product yeah. for little leaguers. You yeah. want to pretend like they're in the big leagues hawking a big chaw in their mouth, but, right. you know, just blow bubbles. Yeah. And uh, Felix here, it's one of that these... That demographic is huge for Trump. Okay, so this is uh, big league politics. Texas rep rips big pharma shill. Parental rights mean more to us than vaccine sorcery. <laughs> it is sorcery. Like, there's no science behind them. No. Like, this fucking... just wizards. This stupid liberal lab. red bitch came from Volantis all these years ago <laughs> and made us start vaccinating our kids. So it says here, uh, with the relentless push for big pharma to force vaccines into children using government authority, Texas state rep Jonathan Stickland is making a stand. Stickland took aim at Dr. Peter Hotets. Dr. Peter Hotep. <laughs> Dr. Peter Hotep. <laughs> Dr. Peter Hotep. Well, now I'm on the side of the doctors. <laughs> Peter Hotep. <laughs> a leading advocate for mandatory vaccinations who is pushing for social media entities to restrict non-corporate speech that is skeptical of big pharma shots. We need a more robust system of pro-vaccine advocacy in this country, uh, Hotez said. First of all, I love what they're saying here. It's like, I'm sure this guy probably does have some sort of connections to pharmaceutical companies or whatever advocacy group he's going for. Uh, vaccinations are probably one of the least profitable things that pharmaceutical companies produce. Also... How can you be a right winger and have any kind of coherent critique of vaccines on that level of saying, oh, big pharma is making us do this? What? Your whole argument is that, corp is that markets should be unregulated, that companies should be able to get as big as they can, and that they, that they because of the competition of the market, are going to do what's best. And so what are the, why are they, where, where is the room for a critique of this that, that, that makes sense in, the, in a pro- in, a, in their pro because they're pro family first they're what you it's just if, totally if, incoherent. if you are a parent you're in charge of everything that goes into your boy at least the hippy dippy like marin county dipshits have some sort of vague anti-corporate ethos that if, this gets if, absorbed if into. you want if you want your boy to be unvaccinated so that you know he's a bit he's a bit chubby now but when he starts working on his essentials in high school he'll do he'll do fundamentals he'll be an offensive lineman he's gonna be a yeah. great he'll be a great natural athlete yeah. as soon as he is but the vaccinations stop that That's they gonna, stop they stop the big boy growth yeah and there'll be no more offensive linemen in the nfl well you think of who owns pharmaceutical companies boom people Jews. who never well i was going to say people that never made varsity but you had to make it explicit <laughs> uh and so they they never want anyone to make the play again yeah right like they don't want a white boy to stop a brother on fourth and inches <laughs> And inside every vet, like there is some science in vaccines, like they do prevent, uh, you know, measles. Sometimes uh, it's arguable. But one thing's for sure. They do not let, you know, kids just be built like fridges. We're ready for some football. <laughs> and what they want, they want every kid to play soccer. Yeah. Yes, you know, exactly. Because, okay. If we're more like the EU, we can introduce the Amero. 
<laughs> and when the Amero is introduced, then you can't revalue the Iraqi dinar. <laughs> and furthermore, yeah, if we become like the EU, there's just going to be fucking minarets everywhere. <laughs> like the uh-huh. EU has replaced the caliphate. Uh-huh. No, I mean, proof's in the pudding, boys. No, but this is where the conspiracy theory thing comes in. You yeah, know, so that's says, where you uh, fill the spot. Yeah, says, uh, Hotez is lobbying for Texas. Hotez is lobbying for Texas to move in the direction of other more left-leaning states that are eliminating personal belief waivers for vaccines, setting the stage what for, if it, what if for mandatory person, vaccines. What if your personal belief waiver was just like, I don't really like my kid. <laughs> you <laughs> just want to get rid caught, of him. If they caught a fatal case of something, that kind of could be a relief. Yeah, honestly, like, if you talk to him, <laughs> so it says, uh, My kid, shit. I want a do-over. <laughs> my kid... <laughs> My I want to. I want to fucking blow in the cartridge and try again. Yeah, my kid. My kid. He actually pissed himself at a sleepover. He fucking embarrassed himself. <laughs> he sucks. So it says, uh, Hotez is particularly hostile towards individuals of deep religious faith who wish to abstain from big pharma's toxic inoculations. If you look at major religions, I can't think of any mainstream prohibitions against vaccines. Maybe some sex or spinoffs, he said. These are important times where religious leaders need to speak out on behalf of vaccines. We need an interface statement on vaccines. It was these comments and others that prompted the liberty-minded legislator Stickland to put the Mengelian physician in his place. <laughs> he is exactly like, like Mengele. Mengele. Yeah. Exactly. Dude, we know Mengele vaccinated all those twins for measles. Yeah. There was no, no more there's no more twins getting measles in any of uh, in all of uh, the, the Third Reich. Mengele hated it. He just hated when kids died. <laughs> so Stickland here says twin. You were bought and paid for by the biggest special interest in politics. Do our state a favor and mind your own business. Parental rights mean more to us than your self-enriching science, in quotation marks. And then he says, uh, he follows up and then Stickland uh, doubles down even harder, harsher condemnation of the doctor, where he says, make the case for your sorcery to consumers on your own dime. Like every other business, quit using the heavy hand of government to make your business profitable through mandates and immunity. It's disgusting. There is not a single pharmaceutical company that is made profitable by vaccination. That is not where the money is. By the way, we'll be coming back again at the end of this episode to uh, pharmaceutical companies and uh, how their profits go to research for prescription drugs that we all need. Uh, So yeah, um, based Stickland, nemesis of Virgil, Texas, and uh, vaccinations. The basic, fundamental, like the stuff that keeps people from not dying. I like that. I'm in favor of it. the whole black pill thing, the whole black pill republicanism. I'm in favor of it. I just wish that it was entirely constrained to that. Uh, let me be clear. This is uh, editorial editorial update here. Uh, just to, to be 100 percent clear uh, for anyone's listening who has a hard time discerning uh, our, our our spoofs and goofs from reality. Uh, vaccination should absolutely be mandatory. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Come on. Get out of here. Uh, so next up, I have I have I've curated uh, two reading series this week that I think by the end of it may give Matt cardiac or like put him into cardiac arrest. Oh, because people they're been, so good. People have been threatening me with this all week. And I was like, I don't want to see it. And then I, and then I just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, Will has it. He's going to do it. You can't stop what's coming. Yeah. Can't stop what's yep. coming, Matt. But the first one. The first one comes courtesy of uh, one William Salatin of Slate.com. Uh, I think we've get ready for some good ass shit. <laughs> this the guy one... has just been a he is like the Hank Aaron of good takes like a 20. He was never the, like the most the greatest of takes, but just a solid 20 year career. Uh, Line drive singles, Line all the time, drive, yeah. doubles, homers all the time. Great takes consistently for 
the entirety of my adult life. So this is uh, uh, Will Salatin in Slate.com. Trust Pelosi. <laughs> the, speaker, the speaker is outwitting Republicans for 2020, even if she isn't talking about impeachment. Is Nancy Pelosi a sellout? This week, a chorus of progressives chastised the House Speaker for a New York Times interview published on Saturday in which she counseled against impeachment proceedings and distanced herself from the exuberances of her party's left flank. The criticism, which Pelosi was forced to address at subsequent forums, one on Tuesday at Cornell University and a second on Wednesday with The Washington Post, is overwrought. Pelosi is a disciplined leader who understands basic rules of political strategy. She's applying them shrewdly to impeachment and 2020. Some critics on the left bristle at Pelosi's language in the interview about staying in the mainstream, along with her refusal to support big ideas like the Green New Deal. But at the level of policy, there's little daylight between the speaker and the left. <laughs> the, issues she, yeah, the issues she talked about in the Times are the same ones she acts on in the House and brings up in press conferences. Healthcare. Healthcare. Bigger paychecks. Just a thing. Yeah, it's just healthcare. Healthcare. Bigger paychecks, infrastructure, and the environment. The list goes on. Education, equal pay, gun safety, immigration reform, social security, violence against women. None of those words. Those words only have one meaning. They can. They. They do not in any way contain a vast array of potential policies that have that are hugely different in their impacts. And 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 yeah. They. Just, there's only, what, what healthcare. What could that mean? She's for. Thing. She's for it. She's for healthcare, folks. She's for healthcare. No, I don't see any daylight. Yeah. I don't see any daylight there. Many progressives think the best way to attract and mobilize voters is to push big ideas like Medicare for All and the Green New Deal. Pelosi disagrees. Big ideas often alarm the other side's voters more than they inspire yours. Instead, she focuses on specific policies that affect people's lives. She knows such policies are easier to explain and harder to caricature, and she emphasizes tangible benefits. The climate issue is a jobs issue. No, I mean this is why Hillary won. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know this. Why are they all talking this way? It's so so tiring. I just love the idea that like uh, big ideas like Medicare for all that'll um that'll that'll make the other side's voters afraid. Also, and they won't vote for you. Also, then. also, uh, it's not it's not it doesn't affect people's daily lives because he's saying she talks about things that affect people's daily lives. What is easier to explain? Obamacare yeah. or Medicare for all. I mean, yeah. like if people have been living in a fever chamber their entire lives where like they think that Obama like hosted MS thirteen at a rap barbecue <laughs> where he like killed a chicken halal style. <laughs> like they're amenable to your side until yeah. you propose Medicare for all. Then they like, oh yeah, then I was ready the to do it. Yeah. I was ready to vote for the lady who uh, eats babies' brains like fucking apples, but like, no, I'm not. Yeah, no, it's like you scare them by being Nancy Pelosi. Like, yeah. they've hated yeah. you your That's entire life. That's the other thing. Life. They hate Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> they Remember, fucking every despise midterm, you. they go, Nancy Pelosi, Democrats. All of her fucking reasonableness has not done anything. San Francisco to values. To ameliorate the San Francisco the values. And the hilarious thing is, Literally the only people who think there's no daylight between what Nancy Pelosi believes and the left of her party are Will Salatin and every Republican voter. Yes. The idea that anyone else, that anyone will buy this shit, it's astounding. Okay, and I also love the the climate issues is a jobs issues as well. I mean, yeah, there will be lots of jobs pumping water out of lower Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah, no. And building seawalls. Yeah, climate refugee executor. uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, a lot but of I, cool stuff if you can I remember do. correctly, when they when they unleashed, you could when be they, into Morton Joe. When yeah. they, <laughs> you could be the bullet work at the bullet yeah. factory. Yeah. You could be a uh, people eater. Yeah, <laughs> you could be fuel. <laughs> 
when they re- unveiled the Green New Deal, one of the criticisms that a lot of centrists, including I believe Pelosi, had was that there's a lot of stuff in here that isn't climate related. Which yeah. That means like the stuff of like retrofitting and doing jobs work. Like there's a jobs guarantee as part of Medicare for all, or I'm sorry, as the Green New Deal. And that was the shit that Pelosi and those people complained about because it was, well, you're muddying the waters. This isn't all part of climate, even though the idea is you have to say it's not just going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be benefits. That was the whole mindset. So, so yes, no, there's no one disagreeing with saying it's a jobs thing. But what she's saying is, yeah, but it should just mean like climate shit should mean what? We, built, we let Elon Musk build a fucking uh, bullet train from San Jose to, uh, to Alcatraz or some fucking thing. And the bu- a bullet train that only carries one person right. at a time. One, yeah, it's a uh, it's personal bullet train now, Matt, visiting Alcatraz. You say that, but like, you, you're playing chess. Nancy Pelosi is playing the ancient Chinese game of Go. <laughs> It's a millennia-old strategy game that's the most complicated game ever devised by human beings. Nancy Pelosi. And she's playing it. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi's playing PUBG Mobile. <laughs> so here he goes. Sucks. Getting the, fragged by a Serbian bot. <laughs> the smarter play, in Pelosi's view, is to defend policies that are well understood and supported. Let your en- Like Medicare for all? No, not that. Let your enemy be the aggressor. This is Sun Tzu Machiavelli, our oh, war damn. strategy. Let your enemy be the aggressor. Always play defense. That's the number one rule <laughs> always, in politics. Always play defense. Yeah, That's yeah. the number one rule in politics. That's like, I mean, why do you think Walter Mondale lost so bad? Well, here's the deal. He's like too aggressive. <laughs> the best offense is a good defense. That famous uh, frame, phrase we all know. Let your enemy be the aggressor, but make sure that the sunlight is at your back so it's in their eyes yeah. as they uh, attack your fortified position. Yeah. Um, let your enemy be the aggressor and rally your base to his attack. Instead of pushing Medicare for all, the speaker targets President Donald Trump's assault on the Affordable Care Act. Again, something that nobody understands or likes at all. Um, she specifies elements of the ACA that will score well in polls. Protections against pre-existing conditions, bans on lifetime limits and annual limits, the Medicare and Medicaid expansion, savings for seniors on their prescription drugs, and premium assistance that makes health coverage affordable. Uh, you know what would do all of those things? Medicare for yeah. all. Much better and more efficiently and more easily uh, explained to people. No, I mean, like the Republicans had no problem. Uh, They had or I mean, they had a ton of problems running against ACA. Which was their plan, right? Heritage Foundation healthcare plan. Yeah, no, that was. They only got a historic. They only won sixty seats running against the ACA in two thousand ten. Pelosi understands that Trump is just a foil. The real goal is to build a relationship with voters. Contrary to perception, she hasn't ruled out impeachment. I mean, I think she, she pretty did. much said She's that. Um, I, I honestly like don't give a shit about that. Really, impeachment. I mean, I'm agnostic no, on no. it. Like, I I'm, feel like we. I, I've said like if you like the argument for impeachment is if you care about like the constitutional duties of Congress, like then they must impeach yeah. you. But like, if you don't give a shit about the norms of American government, then who fucking cares? Right. It's just a question of like where you. The, come well, that's what makes her position and the position of people supporting her the one that is absolutely unsupportable and incoherent because they're the ones who've been shrieking, shrieking the most about how Trump is destroying our fabric of government. He's destroying our, our institutions, uh, our hallowed norms, the things that have allowed us to have a stable democracy for over 200 years. And then you say, yeah, but there's, we're not going to, institute our constitutional prerogative to stop him from doing it or to even investigate what he's been Wait, doing. Wait, was it that you said that she said that Donald Trump is self-impeaching He's self-impeaching now? because what he's doing now, and this shit is wild. Like, no, When did she not, say that? It's because he's not. He, he, they're basically going to say, well, the Democrats want to do oversight now that they have control of the House. We're just going to not comply because nobody has ever really tried that. And what's 
what's the fucking downside? And, you know, they're making the bet that no one's going to care, which is probably the right bet. Okay. So they're, they're saying they're resisting subpoenas. And now Barr or no, uh, Trump is now using executive privilege to try to prevent them from getting the whole Mueller report, which that is. And also crazy. Mnuchin is refusing to turn over his taxes as head yeah. of the Treasury Department. I mean, and this, this like he's, stuff he's is violating baldly, the subpoena. This stuff is baldly unconstitutional. This is flatly a violation of like basic separations of power stuff. So if you care about those things and you're mad that Trump is des- destroying them, you are telling people none of these norms are actually enforced. We are all just lying to you about them, be, and we will not try to enforce them because then you'll realize how fucking fake they are. And the other hilarious thing about this, like, we're not going to impeach him because we need to just focus on 2020, is, again, it's the same ideology that just assumed Hillary Clinton would absolutely become president. And they're like, oh, no, don't need to worry about Merrick Garland. Hillary Clinton will get the next yep. two Supreme Court nominees. Yep. Get No way Donald Trump. And then like, then the, that thing happens. They're like, oh, what do we do now? How dare you have not supported Hillary Clinton? Yep. And it's the same thing. Like, this just, okay, so you're not going to impeach him. Yeah. What if he wins again in 2020? Yep. Are you just saying that, like, well, what are you going to do about all his crimes and manifest corruption then? No. Just be like, oh, now, oh, now, we, now, now we're going to impeach him. Yeah. You know, or like, you're just for- saying, like, we we wait for like when God when he fucking dies choking on a Big Mac. You're like, well, it looks like God impeached him. Sorry, Pelosi said this on CNN today that she said she believes Donald Trump is almost self impeaching and argued that he is every day demonstrating more obstruction of justice and disrespect for Cong- Congress's legitimate role to subpoena. Honestly, okay. d- honestly, dude, you're fucking pathetic. You basically impeach yourself every day. I don't need to do I, it. I think <laughs> what she means by that is that he is doing such a grotesque violation of laws and norms. That that means that he's guaranteeing that he will be defeated in 2020. Oh, that's how he. Oh, we're doing the you don't know how bad you look yep. thing. Yes. That's, that's why Jeb is, beat him in the primary. Exactly, and which is why he lost to Hillary, and why he resigned in disgrace every day of his presidency until today. Are we doing memento where just like all the Democrats they just forget who Donald Trump is at the end yep. of every day? <laughs> they just wake up. Wow, this guy's a dumbass. He's probably gonna lose soon. <laughs> uh, Salatin continues here. Uh, Some critics see Pelosi's centrist language as weak and uninspiring, but she cares about policies, not ideologies. So she's ruthless (laughs) about embracing. So she's ruthless about embracing or shedding labels. She believes, for instance, that fairness is a more popular and less incendiary term than socialism. (laughs) I got news for you. Uh, Run on the fairness uh, agenda in 2020. The uh, Republicans are going to call it socialist no matter what. Yeah. I mean, they've been calling Nancy Pelosi socialist for like 30 fucking years. Yeah, that's what's insane. They really think that these people have some sort of control over how people are going to perceive their branding exercises. They think, well, no, see, this is what they're going to do, and this is how they're going to package it. Well, who gives a shit how they tell you that they're what they're thinking is? No one has ever bought it once. Well, it's the classic, like, dumb guy shit about politics, but it's only the Democrats believe this. This is like, this is a type of stupidity that is only. Um, endemic to Democrats. Republicans are totally immune to this. But Democrats seem to believe that, like, they always seem to believe that, like, the smart strategy is, like, you basing your actions based on, like, what the perceived response of, like, your opponents will be and goading them into some more reasonable or, like, backing them into some position that's indefensible. Whereas, like, do you think the Republicans, when they run on, like, wedge issues or whatever, would be like, oh, if we just... um, demonize all gay people or mexicans like that'll really rile up the democratic base so you know we, we probably shouldn't do that because it'll make the other voters more afraid of us than yep. they are you yep. know 
Nope. They understand that in the modern era, mobilization of your side is all that matters. That there's that there's a vanishingly small number of persuadable voters, uh, and that it's all about getting your people out to the fucking polls. And that 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 there's no such thing. Their idea that they're going to peel these people off. I mean, it's been demonstrated that it won't happen. Trump won. Trump won being an oaf, going out there with his pants unbuttoned, you know, uh, go, uh, doing just rapes and, and bragging about it. None of these people, none of these suburbanites who were supposed to be horrified by Trump, none of them turned on him. And, of course, they're all so happy. Ooh, look, a lot of these same suburbanites, they went against him in the midterms. So fucking what? It's a completely different dynamic, and it's individual races. I mean, look at what happened with Obama. Obama got rinsed in 2010, and then he fucking won comfortably in 2012. There's no reason to believe that these people, when faced with the binary choice of a Republican who might be distasteful, but who delivers on things like jobs and immigration versus some fucking socialist, and the idea that you're going to be able to get some prophylactic around them to prevent them from being thought of as socialist by people whose entire lifestyles are built around thinking that anything even remotely uh, uh, liberal or, or social democratic is, by definition, communism, well, are ever going to fucking come go. to your side. Matt, to your point, at Cornell, Pelosi accused Republicans of using the word socialism to hide their attacks on popular programs. Quote, they're saying Medicare and Medicaid and raising the minimum wage are acts of socialism, the speaker scoffed. No, they're not. They're about fairness. And who gives? Okay, congratulations that you said this. No one gives a shit that that's how you're framing it. Yeah, no. All the Trump voters that went to the Nancy Pelosi talk at Cornell, they were owned. Uh, when Medicare and Medicaid were first proposed as programs, uh, it was Ronald Reagan actually yep. cut an LP. Yep. A, uh, there was the a spoken word LP yep. called "The Road to Socialism" about Medicare and Medicaid. Yep. So it's just like whether you like whether it's certainly not the be all end all of socialism, but like there is a like a. I guess socialist element in these programs in that they are about um, you know sharing this kind of a kind of social solidarity or insurance that like uh, that we all pay into and like that you know of course rich people hate because it means that you know they're not taking advantage of it. Hate it. I, I guess like the the capper to this is that they are two types of Americans: the Democrats and like the Democrats are the party of imagining a social interaction and playing it out while you're in the shower. Yeah, <laughs> one that yeah. never happens, and when you go to try to do it, someone just talks over you. And the Republicans are the party of just saying something and then, like you know, the next week being like, "I never said that." Yeah, which is why uh, the newsroom is so perfectly emblematic of liberalism because it's the shower conversations turned into a show where every every night. Jeff Newsroom gets a Republican and he says, well, you would agree with this, wouldn't you? And they go, oh, yeah. And you'd agree with this, wouldn't you? Well, sure. And he goes, but then shouldn't you by definition believe in this? And then they're just flummoxed. When in reality, people just filibuster that shit. And nobody's going to be led down your primrose path. Nobody's going to argue on your terms. Why would anyone opposed to you argue on anything on your terms? And they think that there's some, there's some objective outside force, some objective, sensible middle American out there who's weighing these things and sees that you are being reasonable uh, like, but the like, real I don't re- think like Medicare and Medicaid are like socialist but they're like they are social welfare programs that have historically like borrowed they, they from they do redistribute they, yeah they inherently. redistribute wealth and they have borrowed from like you know broadly speaking like socialist ideals yeah which is that, and they like, re- and it's a redistributive program by definition but like that difference between Republicans and Democrats boils down to the fact that the Republicans, when they're in office, for the most part, they have an actual incentive to pass the stuff that they run on. The, the, the people that they uh, uh, take money from want 
those policies enacted. And maybe a good not- example of that, uh, Georgia's fetal heartbeat bill that just passed that would, if it ever took effect, make uh, a woman, uh, any woman who uh, has an abortion or even has a miscarriage potentially eligible for the death penalty. Yeah. So Kevin D. Williams just busted in his pants thinking about oh, that. Yeah. But do you think the people who came up with this ludicrous, barbaric law that, again, should be noted, is m- a, a stricter and more draconian abortion restriction that has ever existed in American history, if not even world history, like by comparison. Like even when abortion was illegal in parts of this country, like there was never anything not close to what the like the effect of what these laws would be. Yeah. And do you think the people who came up with this bill were like thinking to themselves, God, um, if it comes out that we are going to potentially be jailing and executing women for exercising, uh, you know, bodily autonomy, uh, do you think that might that might make the other side more afraid and thus more likely to you know organize against us? Yeah. Of course, they know that's true. They're counting on it. Yeah. They want it to fucking happen. But that's the thing. They, when they get in power, they have an agenda. Democrats, and this is why whenever people talk about Democrats being ineffectual or cowardly, they're, it's a fundamental misanalysis. They do, they do not want to do the shit that they talk about. They do not want to have these, to do any kind of significant redistribution or significant regulation of finance or any other industry because those are the people who keep the lights on. They have to tell their constituents that that's what they want because that's broadly the ideological makeup of the Democratic coalition. But they have no incentive of actually carrying it out. Their jobs depend on managing those desires, managing those ideological currents, and preventing them from being genuine threats through the democratic process to those interests. And as a result, they can never they can never really commit to any policy. And it means that like we've seen for the whole 20th century since the Bush years that the Democratic policy is always from before pelosi and after her will be well wait for them to fuck it up wait for republicans to go too far because that is the flip side of doing what you actually campaign on is you eventually white alienate people and if that happens in the same time that you're in power and maybe there's an economic downturn boom you're going to lose power and then you can you can swipe in there and get it another thing i want to bring up like just as long as we're talking about this you know horrific uh bill that they're considering in in georgia i mean the law has not taken effect yet so i don't want to like freak people out like you know no it's all going well the thing is all these states are just in a contest yeah to be the one to be on like when when it gets overturned by brett kavanaugh uh you know which state is going to be in that ruling you know when it goes down in history Mm -hmm. as a a historic ruling they want to know like they want to be the state whose name is the byword for abortion restriction and i think like yeah the the important thing about this is if you'll remember in the 2016 campaign i think when he was talking to chris matthews uh chris matthews did like the jeff newsroom thing the sort of gotcha thing on abortion which actually is a necessary and vital question that should be asked of anyone who is in favor of restricting legal access to abortion is what should be the criminal penalty be for a woman who tries to obtain one. Right. And because Trump's an idiot and not versed in like, you know, right wing, uh, you know, propaganda and like doublespeak, uh, you know, followed that conclusion through logically and told Chris Matthews, I don't know, but I think there should be quote some punishment. Yeah. And then when that happened, like literally within five minutes, his comm shop walked it back and said, no, 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 this is totally not what we believe. And all of like the serious, you know, a sensible, moderate, intellectual conservatives penned, 
they went into overtime penning pieces, assuring everyone that this is not actually what pro-lifers want or believe, and that Trump actually really stepped in it and really offended a lot of pro-lifers. I just want to have one example here from National Review. This is punishing women for abortion. Trump contradicts centuries of legal experience. This is by... Uh, who cares? Some shithead. But just at the end here, uh, it says um, Trump's comment has undermined the long, hard work of pro-life leaders over the past four decades. Leaders who, in the face of false charges by abortion rights advocates, have sought to make clear that they oppose the prosecution of women who abort and that the opposition is far from arbitrary, but rests on the uniform state policy before Roe. And what's most galling is that a person like Trump, who has supported abortion and abortion organizations and pro-abortion candidates for decades, has such crude, flippant, ill-informed opinions. Should suddenly claim to speak for pro-life Americans. Bill Clinton, who reportedly urged Trump to run, must be laughing minute by minute. Yeah, I fucking bet he is now. <laughs> but here's the thing: the thing like Trump's comment undermined the long hard work of pro-life leaders. That is a hundred percent true statement. But what they're really saying is that undermined all the hard work that we've done convincing normal, regular people that we're not like blood drinking ghouls yeah, who want to throw we're women not just in jail. Frothing massages. Yeah, uh, yeah. Keep that in mind. Uh, just okay. So the last thing here from Pelosi. A party can win more votes in Pelosi's view by claiming to represent the middle than by claiming to represent a wing or a movement. The Republicans have abandoned the center. The left can own it, she argued on Tuesday. There is no no center center of American politics. There's not a center. There's a bunch of people with just, as Felix has ably pointed out, a bunch of people with just insanely incoherent views. That's the center. I would love for Nancy Pelosi, Will Skelton, I would love for them to go on two fact-finding missions. The first would be to the villages <laughs> to explain to the people there that like Medicaid isn't socialism. And hopefully after you know meeting a guy who's put a ghillie suit on his golf cart, <laughs> they can realize what a fool's errand this is. Uh, the other is, yeah, to go to the uh, hot couches and uh, raisin canes of Ohio. And talk to normal voters they believe to be in the center and get opinions like, you know, I could see the argument for why Bush uh, blew up the Twin Towers, but Building 7 was just egregious. <laughs> uh, opinions like, um, you know, my political heroes, easy. Got Trent Lott, Paul Wellstone, two guys <laughs> that always fought for the truth. And the same, the same people, the people, the wheat lobby killed both of them. <laughs> Trent Lott, metaphorically, Paul Wellstone in reality. And just, you know, see the insane incoherence of the sort of like uninitiated American mind. And uh, I don't know, maybe walk away with it learning a little we bit. We need to stop drones. We need to stop these drone strikes all over these other countries and bring the drone strikes to America. Yeah. yeah. Oh, this, we, uh, I, I, we need a border wall right now. There's chef. There's all these foreign products like Chef Boyardee. The <laughs> Italians are coming in. I can't take it, and it's a Mexican guy saying it. <laughs> that's a, uh, that's the average American. There was actually a political reporter who uh, said uh, this was on, this was on Twitter this week. Said uh, just spoke to a voter from Winchester, New Hampshire, oh, who voted great. for Romney in 2012, Obama in 2008, George W. Bush in 2004, and and 2000. Clinton in 96 and George H.W. Bush in 92. So this is like the guy who literally trades off presidential elections between party. One of 15 people in America who are like this. He said he voted for Trump in 2016, but said he could be convinced otherwise after the Dem primary is over. But he has a few deal breakers. His deal breakers for Trump, any further child separation, tariffs, and if he bungles trade deals. Okay, here are his deal breakers for the Democratic nominee. 
an unwillingness to establish some sort of immigration restriction. Yeah, we don't have any immigration restrictions. Raising taxes on corporations, but he is okay with raising taxes on individual income. Look, if you want to raise my taxes, that's fine. But if you come for Monsanto, I will fuck you up, sir. <laughs> Just, yeah, in coat gibberish. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> this is... The average American, like, their politics are mostly informed by, like, David D's cartoons and Parks and Rec. <laughs> like, just somewhere, be- and and the Taken movies. Yes. Like, just somewhere in between those three poles. Like, they'd be the kind of person who'd be like, West Wing's my favorite show, but I hated it when they injected all that politics into yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> like, they, uh, basically, they just want to, they don't think of it systematically, they don't have any ideology, really. They just react to discrete, in, they... Every discrete event happens. They never connect any of the dots between any of them. They don't like apply a, a like a, a ideological or even just basic causal rubric to anything. They just they're just wow, that's fucked up. And then they just create discrete explanations that they then all hold together without ever realizing the degree to which they all contradict one another. Yeah, I mean the because the average American's life is boring chaos. Yeah. You're constantly just on a razor's edge over, you know, whether you're just going to be fucking homeless over a bad break. You got a blood clot where you shouldn't have. And, oh, you can't afford your house anymore. Oh, you, you kid, kid might get blown up with bullets in a school. Oh, you, uh, oh, whoops. Uh, your job doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but nothing really happens because all you do in America is just drive from one Panera to another. And so your concept of like, you're, concept of linear events and causality is completely fraught and in, in, and fucked up because you're not actually really taught anything about any of this and so you just go through life thinking that like Colin Kaepernick is kneeling so Aaron Hernandez will be freed <laughs> but you're kind of you sort of you want to hear both sides but of the you're issue. in favor of it yeah you're, and, you're in favor of Aaron Hernandez being freed, but not him kneeling to protest yeah. his imprisonment. And, and Nancy Pelosi sees you and she's like Oh, this guy doesn't really want health care. Yeah. I mean, I'm for health care. And you're like, what does that mean? And then your uncle who uh, like invented a type of whirlpool that ended up like sucking people's intestines out and killing them. <laughs> but it was before like advances in liability law. So the company went out of business, but he left with like a $10 million settlement. He's like, yeah, did you know she's an ISIS? And you're like, oh, that's fucked. I don't want that health care. No, well, that's the thing. Even if you even if you paid attention, even if it's like it's not even a question of oh they don't even pay attention to anything. No, these are voters. P- voters do try to like stay abreast of, of what's going on. Even if you do, you're not getting an explanation for why anything happens anyway from the media or from anyone in politics. They have no interest in connecting any dots for you. It's just a bunch of discrete horseshit and then a bunch of pablum about like we're great because we're good or we're going to get better and we're and we're going to keep on keeping on. Right, even if you're to take seriously the idea that there is some center in American politics that represents some vast mass of voters that basically stand for everything that is exactly halfway in between yeah. the Democrat, the, the, the most left-wing Democrat and most right-wing Republican, which, by the way, would basically be the Democratic Party agenda as it currently yes. stands. Correct. Like, Even if you accept that that's true, as, like, none of these people can be reached through politics no. or policies or ideologies. And I'm sorry, like Nancy Pelosi, like, for Salah didn't say she cares about policies, not ideologies. You don't get to make that distinction. You don't get to make like, that like choice. Policies are ideological. Yes. Like there is, you can't separate one from the other. And to say that, like, oh, I just care about the policy of Obamacare. That's an ideological investment in a political program. Yes. That and, is that is explicitly anti left wing. And just because you're saying it. 
that way doesn't mean anyone is going to take it that way. You have no power over how it's perceived. And that's what these people, and they always get this media press from, or this media coverage from people like Saladin, who believe themselves to be people who can shape the way people believe things. Like yes. guys like Will Silton are 100% convinced that they are, they're like, they're uh, ide- like wizards of, of propaganda and, and they're like, oh, Walter Whitman's, uh, Walter Lippmann, and that they, yeah, Walter they Lippmann, can, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can shape the discourse. And so, of course, they when a politician tells them, oh, well, see, I'm going to use fairness instead, policy. They're like, aha, brilliant. You're going to really get those cottage cheese-brained rubes on your side with that one. Walter Lippmann, he coined American Century, or did he, he also coined, did he turn, did he coin the term manufacturing consent that uh, Herman and Chomsky? He was manufacturing it? consent. Yeah. Uh, Henry Luce did. Henry Luce was American Century. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. You, I, you say that about Will Salatin, but I think actually he is sort of an influencer. And just to prove that, I've selected... Uh, four Will Salatin articles from Slate, just totally at random, um, a totally random selection. Uh, Ask backwards: the media's silence about rampant anal sex hmm. from September twentieth, two thousand five. <laughs> that is a very from roundabout October, way to from, get your wife to try it. From October fifth, two thousand ten, five years later, the ass man cometh: experimentation, <laughs> orgasms, and the rise of anal sex. Again, totally randomly selected article here from October eleventh, two thousand ten. The riddle of the sphincter: why do women who have anal sex get more orgasms? And again, totally random from November 25th, 2013. More is lesbian. Nearly 20% of young British women say they'd have same-sex experience. What's going on? <laughs> Damn. I want to be on the Slate fuckcast. <laughs> it's the Slate cultural cum fest. <laughs> <laughs> I love- Remember, no cum dodging is allowed. <laughs> oh, God, oh, God, I'm going to finish. Oh, God, oh, God I'm going to yeet all over her. Oh, God. God, oh God, oh my God, you are so gorgeous. I love, I, oh, I love just Eiffel Towering with fucking Jacob Weisberg. <laughs> so sick. Oh God, he also he always today, follows out of Bushism when he's coming. Uh, <laughs> today uh, we're having Stephen March on to absolutely bang out this eager cum slut. <laughs> We're back to the Tiger Woods text messages. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and today, I would like to have a literary discussion with you and three Eastern European women that you trust. Today uh, at the show, uh, Steny Hoyer will be riding the Sibian. <laughs> that would be so sick. It was just the Slate nerds trying to do Howard Stern on E. <laughs> oh, God. We're talking to one African-American individual who claims to be the king of all of them and another who claims to be angrier than the rest. <laughs> okay. All right, so finally, we bring to our, our, our last uh, reading, and I think this is the official reading series for this episode, and it may cause Matt to have a stroke. Oh, God damn it. It comes courtesy of, again, another Chapo all-star who we haven't honestly checked in on in a long time, but I think, I think the time has come to, for her to make another appearance. I'm talking, of course, about Washington Post opinions columnist Megan McCardle. Oh, God damn. Probably, I would say, oh, the no. all-star in in the Chapo roster, like in the Chapo oh, Hall of Fame, no. I think she's racked up high more points this than is anybody. Ted Williams. Yeah, like Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, and Muhammad Ali rolled together is Megan McCardle. Yeah. But instead of sports, it's uh, being right, like having good thoughts and putting them into writing them down and publishing oh, no. them. Oh no! Okay, courtesy of the Washington Post, Megan McCardle like I said I was going to talk about uh, affordable health care and the costs of prescription drugs. Megan McCain, Megan, Megan McCardle, 
Oh, wait, do you want to talk about Megan McCain and her husband Ben Domino getting mad at Tom Myers <laughs> real quick? That oh, was a funny Tom thing Myers. that happened. That this was week. funny. Uh, that's really he, convincing. I think acting job of the year, Ben Domino. Sorry, I love my wife. <laughs> Sorry yeah. for rage. I love my wife. I want to. I am a huge fan of my wife. Okay, man. He got so mad at Seth Meyers for being mean to her. I wonder how mad he's going to get at himself for all the times he publicly owned her on Twitter before they got married. Uh, was it uh, Stefan Heck found one where it was just like like a manual RT where it was like uh, someone was like he was manually RTing someone that was like contest you know like win a date with Megan McCain and then he just in all caps no do not want. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but then he met her, and we all have to admit, I mean, come on. She's just very, she's very charming. She's person. very charming. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, I mean, they went to a date, and like she screamed at the waiter until her face was the color of a fucking plum. And then, like, uh, do you think it was? Ben, like, ben do you think got- it was like a uh, lady? It was like Lady in the Tramp. And instead of fighting over like connecting the same piece of spaghetti to kiss, they're both flagging down the same manager to get the waiter <laughs> fired and grab each other's wrists. Uh, ben Domino though claimed that uh, Seth Meyers only got his job for, because he was gargling Lorne Michaels' balls. Yeah, no, Lorne Michaels does not have balls. <laughs> that's idiot. no, that's true. That is true. Like Lorne Michaels saw Seth Meyers and he was like, "I want that sexy bitch to suck on my balls sexually, <laughs> not my dick, just my balls." And again, it's uh, very weird. Ike Barinholtz also pointed this out. He's calling Seth Meyers a hack, which is like whatever. Ben Domino got fired from the Washington Post for plagiarizing PJ O'Rourke. Hey, if you want, he wanna, got fired for plagiarizing a hack. If you want to, you know, be the best, steal from the best. Yeah, PJ O'Rourke. Like, what would you plagiarize from PJ O'Rourke? Hey, sometimes I like a little alcohol with my politics. <laughs> cool. His awesome column about like, I think all the hippies should get jobs cleaning golf courses. Have you ever noticed that French people smell bad? Dude, uh, uh, hello, Epic Department. Okay, so this uh, our other favorite Megan, and I think honestly the better Megan, if we're being honest here, Megan McArdle. There is a high cost to making drugs more affordable for Americans. So, of like course. now, I know, like well, you, pay, you pays one hundred and twenty dollars for an eighth once. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's true. Like, if people had access to medicines, some of them might not uh, die early, and those people might end up being school shooters, Hitler. or Hitler, or something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a cost that yeah. you have to consider. So, I mean, Megan is here to tell you that, like, yes, it's become we as a public, we've become increasingly aware of the sort of ludicrous and you know like blackmail basically involved in the drug companies can now charge seven hundred dollars for insulin or something like that and that there's a growing dawn something that's been synthesized for almost a hundred years and that you know they they abuse patent laws to like keep these things from being like you know public domain uh you know basically in perpetuity and you know you may think that that's bad and megan's saying you know you you may be right but like on the other hand what are the costs of fixing that you know, it could be higher than you actually dying from diabetes. What if they what if they try to make insulin generic and then they forget how to make it? I mean, you're telling me when you go to the supermarket, you want that shitty cereal that's in a bag. What if you start getting prescription drugs that are like, you know, a knockoff of Prozac? Yeah, you don't want to go into Trader's Joe and get your <laughs> get your prep. OK, Megan McArdle, Americans outrage about prescription drug prices is odd in a way. What beautiful opening sentence. Drugs account. Uh, I, I love a nice declarative, clear statement of intent to begin any article. I like. I, I always like to begin an argument being like, "Hey guys, I don't know about this thing." Well, as as you're aware, the most infuriating part about Megan McArdle and her writing slash thinking style is um, 
essentially laundering her hard right wing of point of view through obscene twee affectations and absurd hemming and hawing where you go on the one hand, on the other hand, yeah. and you make it seem like you're being a fa- giving a fair-minded representation. Yeah, just give me Ayn Rand over this show. Absolutely. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, she, Ayn Rand knew what she believed in yeah. and would say that you're a worm if you think otherwise. It's like she, if, if Megan McArdle wrote that shit, it would be like, uh, a kind of equals A, I think, maybe. But one could see who's a scenario John where it equals B. Who yeah. is John Gall? I don't know. People are kind of saying who he's a guy. Somebody, is he? I don't know. I mean, he might be a guy. It's fun. It's, I, I kind of think he's a guy. But it's weird. Knows? Okay. Drugs. This is, this is McArdle again. Drugs account for less than 10% of the nation's overall healthcare spending. And while the price of some medicines has spiked, Overall, spending on prescription drugs has grown more slowly than broader, broader healthcare expenditures. We did it. Gone back, folks. We What's that it. about people literally dying because they're rationing their their insulin like on the regular? No, but like, the, but there could be more. For, you know, she, what she's saying is like, it's odd that you care so much about how expensive prescription drugs are costing because the, the cost of prescription drugs has actually grown far slower and less dramatically than the cost of everything else associated with healthcare. Which is exploding. <laughs> so he goes, uh, in 2017, the increase didn't even keep up with inflation. Oh, my God. Yet polls mean, show, I guess all those people aren't dead. Yet polls show that pharmaceutical companies are one of the most hated private what sector the industries heck? below it's the weird. rest of the healthcare industry I don't get it. it's like and this, below even lawyers. What the heck? It's like this company where they say, hey, I need this thing to not die. And then they say five Can million dollars. And, and literally, say no. if, if you can't afford it, we won't give it to you. It's weird people resent that co- that industry. How can you not like somebody who is weighing two things in two hands? One of them is like, you know, will thousands of people die because we just gouged the price on something we didn't invent? And on the other hand is like his kid going to the new school's new mime academy. <laughs> How can you hate that person? This is a part of the like, so, yeah. ongoing war against New York's the new school. I don't know. Okay, look. I just think it's emblematic of the type of person. Everyone uh, everyone at the new school, their dad is all Martin Shkreli. It's a long story. So he goes, uh, she goes, that's why it's been such fertile territory for Democratic presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders, who in April introduced a bill to control prescription drug prices and last week tweeted that once in the White House, he would lower the outrageously high price of prescription drugs. This idea, the idea has proven so popular that even Republicans, including Senator Rick Scott, are getting into the act. Rick Scott, by the way. If he's getting in on the act, he must have figured out a way that he can um, steal millions <laughs> from Medicare recipients yeah, directly. Scott, Rick Scott is going to be the first senator sponsored by Big Baller Brand. <laughs> he's a big baller. Uh, which isn't really surprising at all. Is it, Megan? Drugs may be a small part of our healthcare spending, but it's the cost that we're most directly exposed to month after month. More so it's o- a big part. Yeah. <laughs> Moreover, moreover, it's easy to directly compare U.S. prices with much lower prices in, say, Canada. Yeah, another comparable, uh, like, industrialized first world nation that's literally (laughs) we share a border with that is in every way like America. That, like, for some reason, their drugs cost a like a fraction of what we do, and the people literally organize caravans to go north of the border to get fucking drugs. Megan, honestly, Megan would like to build a wall, but on the Canadian yes, border, so Americans can't, drugs out of can't you know, steal prescription drugs from Canada. So he goes, um, Americans think the difference is unfair because it is. And yet Americans arguably get a pretty good deal from all this overspending. What they get? New drugs. 
<laughs> you mean like that shit for like make your eye, eye uh, eyelids just thicker? So like goes, that? <laughs> new drugs. We get new drugs. The oversized profits that pharmaceutical okay, different types of boner pill. The oversized profits that pharmaceutical companies collect in the United States encourage them to do lots of research and development in the hope of earning more of those sweet, sweet returns. Again, more of a fucking unbearably tweet. You're writing. He writes like a fucking high schooler. Doesn't she have any editors who are like, this isn't cute or funny, Megan? It's actually grotesque. And it's really good in there. She says encourages them. Sweet, sweet returns. And one, one more sentence. The rest of the world essentially free rides on Americans' willingness to pay more. Okay. Willingness to so, pay. So yeah, yeah, our it. willingness to pay. No, nobody, nobody asked us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if given the choice, we would actually like to pay less, and that's what this article yeah. you're trying to argue, you're trying to talk us out of. Yeah. In Megan's ideal world, we all would be willing to pay oh, yeah, whatever prescription like, drugs. Those hardworking uh, pharmaceutical reps, they deserve every penny. Okay. What's so stunning about this? They give me a slightly different type of fucking statin. Is Megan makes a shitload of money, right? I mean, I assume she has like a pretty good salary writing for the Washington oh, yeah, Post, okay. uh, and like. She gets money in exchange for her willingness to debase herself in public over and over again. What's stunning to me about this line about how uh, actually the American pharmaceutical industry, their their profits subsidize medical research that the rest of the world free rides on is the oldest fucking line in like the health, the, the Pfizer fucking PR playbook. They've been pulling this for probably 20 years now and they're doing it again. They haven't changed this line at all. The, uh, their, their profits. Oh, it's going all to research. They spend vastly more money on fucking marketing and like stock buybacks. They spend it on on marketing. They spend it on pens that have the names of drugs on it and hand jobs for doctors so that they'll prescribe them. They they, they spend a fraction of these profits on legitimate medical research. And most of the actual important medical research that leads to breakthroughs are are from government-funded research. National Institute of Health. They get... And then glom onto it because we have no at a time release mechanism and then patent it so no one can get yeah. that drug for the next hundred years yeah. because we don't have any mechanism to distribute drugs or or actually uh, to to develop and distribute drugs. We have to give the rate research to private companies just because they have a distribution network, which we could absolutely have that be a fucking public provision as well. If the okay, Megan continues here. And the thing she says, I just wanted to say it. She goes, it encourages them to put the money into research. Well, it's obviously not the case. Well, beyond that, it's like you're just you're just saying that. Like that's there's no support there. You're saying, well, logically, it would. It's the same argument when they say, oh, you cut taxes on rich people, then they're gonna put it back into their companies in the form of investment, and that'll mean more jobs. We know they don't do that. We know for a fact they don't do that, but it sounds like something you would do if you were in that position. So you think, yeah, you're right. They do that. But we know they don't do that because also her premise that their money comes from like the next big like life-saving drug. No, their money comes from slight variations on existing drugs. <laughs> and addicting the nation to opiates. Yes. Um, and buying old patents and jacking up the fucking price. Yeah. This is what I mean. Like Megan, this is what you're taught with Megan and other fucking reptiles like her are taught at like the Koch brothers institute for humane studies and these journalism programs to get you placed in somewhere like the washington post so you can just regurgitate these ludicrous like pr bromides from private industry what you learn there is how to like anesthetize any sense of shame or feelings that like you're a bad person like this i said megan gets paid to embarrass herself in public because she doesn't care what she didn't give a fuck what she says 
doesn't care at all what comes out of her mouth. She just knows that she has to do it. She's just thinking about that William Sonoma catalog. She's thinking about putting another fucking gigaw in her goddamn kitchen. So go, she goes on she here. She is uh, Lydia Rodarte Quayle. <laughs> <laughs> she goes on here. If the United States enacted European-style price controls on drugs, less of that research would be done, and that would mean real losses to human welfare. In recent years, drug companies have offered, among other things, a cure for hepatitis C, a treatment for drug-resistant epilepsy, a near-miraculous remission rates for previously terminal cancers. Okay, oh, they've, they, they invented all those things? Good, let's make it public domain and have it so that everyone can have access to these new wonderful life-saving drugs and And once again, I want to see the fucking work on where the goddamn research for these comes from because just because Pfizer patents it or, or, or sells it to you or puts a commercial out does not mean that they did the fucking research that made that happen. She goes, the argument is a familiar one, though, and advocates for some form of price controls already have rejoinders. Probably the most frequently heard is that drug companies can keep research investment high by cutting in other areas such as marketing, dividends, and stock buybacks, and boo-hoo if the shareholders don't like it. The adv- Again, that's literally what I just said. So she says, the advocate's solution is simple, appealing, and wrong. It fundamentally misunderstands the nature of drug pri- the drug pricing issue, which is not a budget problem, but an investment problem. A budget problem is what it sounds like. It's how you match outflow to inflow. If your salary drops by a third, you start cutting expenses until you've eliminated the deficit. Farewell vacation, and it may come time to sell one of those cars. But the investments... But investments are about how you make your income grow. Imagine that you're deciding whether to go into business for yourself. It doesn't really matter what sort of business, but since Tuesday was National Roast Leg of Lamb Day, let's say you want to open a sheep farm. I don't know what the fuck she's talking about here. Here's a a good thing. Uh, you, You start with a simple, defensible moral principle, which is that no one should die in the richest nation on earth because they can't afford insulin, a drug that's been extant for 70 years now. To create an argument, to to like sort of reverse engineer an argument against that, you have to come up with this convoluted thought experiment where you're investing in lamb futures because it's (laughs) roast leg of lamb day, or you're comparing it to a household budget where you're like, oh, oh, if drug companies, you know, cut back on marketing, then, uh, you know, if you think about that like uh, your family, that means that uh, you won't be taking a vacation. What the fuck is she talking about? (laughs) Well, it's like uh, the classic Felix tweet where you start page one of an economics textbook is... Uh, uh, the economy is why we have ice cream. Page ten fifty is, and that's why it's okay that people die in factories. I just, uh, I'm very proud that uh, Bloomberg or Washington Post. Sorry, I forgot she's no longer. Yeah, she's Bloomberg. upgraded. Yeah. Washington Post has hired Dr. William Gole. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, prescription drug prices. It was uh, was it? It was the Jews who were the ones who yeah, were responsible. Yeah, the Jews were the ones not uh, <laughs> well, not be blamed for nothing. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, she's just le- she's le- she's like leading a trail of breadcrumbs into the enchanted forest, so you could just get lost there forever. Be like, well, yeah, the like, if I want to get a lamb farm, okay, and then what? If- but what if, oh, yeah, what about that extra, uh, what about the car payment? And and by the end of it, you just don't even know what your name is. I have to say, like, McArdle's, like, affectation, I guess, has worked on me sometimes because it's just, like, we really do beat up on this shitty writing so much. And she's terrible. She's just a fucking hapless, like, in her life, she's, like, a hapless dope. She has, like, a succession of, uh, like, partners and husbands who just, like, play She only had one husband. Well, she had a partner, a partner husband. before that who it's also same didn't guy. like her. And then this guy who just okay. plays World of Warcraft all day. And she just wakes up feeling nothing and then panic at that nothing. And all she can do is just like buy mixers or some shit uh, that use like a quartz tip so you can make a finer type of cookie dough or whatever. And it just like it is sad. 
to see someone's life just so nakedly pointless and they're so clearly unhappy. But then you just read this and you're like, man, she's just fucking terrible. She's such a shit person. She's so dog shit as a human being. Oh, she doesn't care. I mean, remember the Grenfell thing. It's all like uh, horrible things happen. Uh, things that shock the conscience and soul and make people needless suffering and 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 the thing about that kind of thing is it makes people think what can we do to stop this and her job is to get in between you and your outrage and say exactly you shouldn't be outraged about this and that's her that's her job that's her fucking job they pay they put that like her fucking like her fucking corn blancher in her fucking and you know what matt this is exactly the same move that she does in the grenfell column which is like you have a thing that shocks the conscious pointless needless suffering and cruelty uh that happens because of greed yes and no other reason but the greed of private actors capitalist drive yeah cap- yeah exactly profit, yeah uh she gets in there and says i know you think you may think it would be good if we did something about that but what if i were to tell you that in doing something about that, there's um, a sort of butterfly effect that will create an even worse scenario that will be led to even more suffering than what exists now. No drugs for anyone. Yeah, exactly. But, so she, you know, like she goes on here. She says, uh, do you still open the sheep farm? <laughs> Shut up. Shut you can, you can cut the budget and maybe still eke out a living. Oh, God. When you're making a new oh, investment. I'm, I'm reading this whole thing. Oh, oh, I'm reading this whole thing. You could cut the budget and maybe still eke out a living. But when you're making a new investment, the question isn't, how can I make my income match my expenses? But... Is, the, is this the best use of my time and money? Most of us want to do more than eke out a living. If government squeezes the profit out of a business, we're not going to go into that business. We'll do something else. That's how pharmaceutical firms think about research and development. Not as something they must do, which they will support by economizing elsewhere, but as something they would like to do if the investment pays better than doing something else, such as executing stock buybacks. It's also how people buying, how people buying biotech stocks or lending money to pharmaceutical firms think about their activities. And so if the returns on those investments are squeezed, fewer investments will be made. It's almost like the fucking profit motive is in direct conflict with human welfare. How about we just um, nationalize all pharmaceutical firms and run them as public concerns? Oh, wait a minute. No, no, because you need the only thing that makes people develop new medicines is profit motive. Those those scientists in those labs at the National Institute of Health, they've got dollar signs in their head, which is, of course, why fucking Cuba, which has a totally nationalized healthcare system and is also an impoverished island under fucking economic embargo for 60 years cured cancer and or cured aids and fetuses and has a fucking a, a cancer vaccine they were able to pull this shit together without having an industry that depends on like taking a bunch of fucking uh like general practitioners from omaha taking about the steak dinners and then giving them all uh lap dances at scores okay i hear what you're saying and it's a valid point but imagine if you will it was enchilada night at your house <laughs> but someone uh, made a little oopsie daisy and forgot to buy the soft taco shells. Now you could make it with hard taco shells, but if my husband, who hasn't made eye contact with me in six months, uh, he forgot where I put my thirty-five thousand dollar tortilla maker, then I just have to completely pointlessly meander through life at the behest of the Bohemian Grove and reptilians, and then I just die a pointless existence, having never really been loved or loved anyone. And uh, then you can't get your enchiladas. Uh, but there's a no. There's a fundamental conflict. Like she's framing this of it has the profit motive is what gives people the incentive. 
to to do life-saving work. And in what, and, I, and we've already pointed out that that's not necessarily true. The Cuban healthcare system comes out well, with amazing life-saving innovations the, the guy, the on guy, a shoestring fucking budget with no profit who's motive. It, the guy who created the polio vaccine he gave it away. copyright on it. He, he gave it away. Like, the guy who synthesized insulin, too, also yeah. gave it away. He didn't say, I want one day for the disgusting slug daughter of Joe Manchin to be able to buy 16 fucking uh, uh, below-ground pools on a, on a recently... Uh, mountaintop removed hill in fucking west virginia but i think a good example that is even more uh, trenchant to how there's just this is a fundamentally incorrect argument this idea that 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 uh that profit is what is gonna is what saves lives in medical in the medical world is people might know this or not but we are on the verge of getting a epidemic of uh antibiotic resistant bacteria that could like decimate the human population because we have, because uh, bacteria have over the last couple of generations grown increasingly resistant to existing uh, antibiotics. Antibiotics are becoming less and less effective at stopping infections. We talked about this with Lee Phillips. It basically means that, like, not only are most medical like surgeries would be impossible without antibiotics, but like very simple things like like catheters would yeah. also be impossible without antibiotics. And the pharmaceutical industry is not doing anything about it because there's no money in it. Nope. So. This is a case where the la- the profit motive is literally incentivizing apocalypse. Apocalypse, yes. Well, it's incentivizing us allowing everyone to die of antibiotic resistant bacteria. Looks like guys who don't swiffer their floor are looking pretty smart right now. <laughs> Last paragraph. Oh, thank God. There's a reasonable argument, of course, that Americans should be willing to forsake pharmaceutical research to make current drugs more affordable. But before going that route... Everyone needs to be clear on what sort of decision is being made. Otherwise, it's all too likely that cutting drug prices now in the name of easing people's budgets will mean later discovering that we inadvertently sacrifice the life-saving investments of the future. Okay. For, well, we've talked about why that's bullshit and why her premise is wrong. But right there where she says, what does she say? We're doing it in the name of, of what about the budgets? Otherwise, it's all too likely that cutting drug prices now in the name of easing people's budgets. That's it. There you go. That's, that's what helped. That's what... Uh, Prescription drug prices mean to to Megan McArdle. Oh, I might have to not get that uh, that rice enema machine that I was going to get <laughs> uh, instead of literal life or death for millions of people, which we know for a fact it is. How how many fucking times have you seen a story about somebody who rations their fucking insulin until they die because they haven't been getting consistent treatment for their diabetes? That happens all the fucking time, and people never even get prescriptions filled that they have been. Uh, prescribed for them because they can't afford it and then they die. We know that people are literally dying over this. It's not about whether or not you're going to... And she she tips her hand too and she says, well, it's like a household budget. If you cut here, you might not be able to take that vacation or you might have to sell that second car. Just that's her baseline. Somebody who's going to fucking... uh, Going to Aspen and has three cars in the fucking garage and and whose household budget is just, just this vast array of, of expenses that she can slowly winnow down in the case of an economic downturn instead of what it is for most people which is a fucking razor's edge of life and death and a thing like uh a a spike in in the cost of a uh of a prescription uh is why you die it's why you die or Again, it's why you 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 can't do something else that's vastly important to your life and that leaves you completely fucked somewhere else I mean, again, like the question that's being posed is not one about budgets is, you know, if if you like have X, like how much money would you pay to keep living? How much money would you keep pay? What would you pay to keep your foot? 
Like, how much money would you pay, like, to, you know, have a livable quality of life? This is the question that our health insurance, the health insurance and prescription drugs in America, in a privatized system, asks people every day. To Megan, because I don't think she's, like, I don't know, a human being? Not really. I don't know, not really a human? She's a really like, strong argument for the David Icke theory. Yeah. Uh, to her, that's a reasonable question and that you could create a graph, actually, that could chart out like where your sweet spot is between like uh, living, living a decent life, living a life that's brutally, um, you know, pre- you know, prescribed by a chronic illness that, that would otherwise be treatable. But, you know, also you want that, you know, jet ski or whatever. She probably has like, you know, formulas and graphs that she thinks represent like a logical way to figure this out. But at the end of the day, she knows this is all bullshit, but she knows it's her job to write it. And put her name on it, and they just want they, they just want real estate in the newspaper where someone will it's say arguing on their behalf. Well, someone will just say, you know, hey, affordable drugs that you know save your life or the lives of people you know and love. That might sound good, but what if it weren't? Yeah, and the thing is, is that and whenever she's doing this, she's invoking a real argument, and and, she, and it is a kind of a straw man thing. And I, I think she could argue well when you talk about the way people talk about things; they really only emphasize the positives and not the trade-offs. It's like, yeah, that's what literally everyone does in politics. You're acting like that's some sort of cheating demagoguery when leftists do it. Literally everyone fucking does that. But yes, of course there are fucking cost-benefit. Of course there's, uh, there's trade-offs. There have to be for everything. But her assumption is whatever we do, the, the trade-offs, they're all in the context where there are these disgusting, fat, blood-filled tick parasites who are sucking off everyone else so that their kids can go to clown college, their profits are 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 cannot, are sacrosanct. Like whatever 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 we're doing in terms of trading off a, a bloated, disgusting corporate sector of 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 pro- capitalist profiteers, that's built in. That can't go anywhere. Like Joe Manchin, shithead daughter, all the Sacklers, they they have to be kept whole. They cannot lose their standard of living. They cannot lose their fifteenth yacht. Not even their standard of living. They can't even take a minor haircut. Nothing. Nothing. They can't lose anything. Yeah. Uh, and that I just think that that's a very faulty assumption to say the least. And it's funny how she doesn't, and she never really puts it that way, of course, because nobody would accept it. But like, look at that article. She's talking about the incentive to produce. Well, what's what's who makes the money? It's not the guys who make the fucking disease-changing drugs. It's the guys who sell them. It's the fucking companies that sell them that make the money. The the, the people who actually do the life-saving research. They cannot be motivated by the thought of, oh, my God, I'm going to be a billionaire because they never become billionaires. Their fucking bosses do. And like so much of like like economic theory, like the way I mean, like like when I say Megan isn't human, I would say like most of the economics profession, like as a discipline is also deeply inhuman in that it like it's this weird overlap of like evolutionary biology where they assume individual human beings are these like just rational computing machines that are always making decisions based on their like genetic outcome. And they generally don't think they think like altruism generally doesn't exist or it only extends so far as like your immediate blood group and that everyone is capable of making these choices like, like a computer, like nodes and kind of an algorithm, which just based on any human experience outside of the realm of economics is untrue. Yes. And and the thing, and here's the thing, economics creates that world. Yeah by which we literally are all competing with one another to fucking like i that you know like my 
getting prescription drugs comes at the uh, expense of everyone else or like, like things like that where he makes this robotic, inhuman world. It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And, and here's the other way that you know it's bullshit. The assumption there is everyone is motivated by personal interest and not even that specifically financial Capitalist interest. financial interest, investment. And that's why people create life-saving drugs. Well, as we've said, the people who actually create life-saving drugs are scientists and doctors. And I, and they, I could say ca- categorically, they are not motivated by becoming billionaires. Why? Because they became scientists instead of becoming pharmaceutical executives. If they cared about money, they wouldn't have that job. They would have the job in the fucking C-suites. So clearly there are people in the world who want to help other people. And, that, and, and the capitalism exists, it's supposed to be the thing that directs, um, directs resources, right? Like efficiently. That's mm-hmm. the argument of capitalism. Yeah. It's the most efficient way to direct resources. And that might have some validity in certain like consumer markets. But in something as, as vital and, and uh, uh, as uh, an inelastic as fucking healthcare and, and medicine, it's simply not true. We know where the resources should go. We know what we need to do. And we have people who want to work on those things. We could just direct the money that way. We do not need this parasitic class directing the money in a way that guarantees that they are always uh, compensated and that people, because of that, die because you create the artificial scarcity of price, uh, in price points, elevated price points, to, to limit the number of people who can access the drug. I would say at the end of the day, economics like as a discipline is largely created and maintained by people who hate humanity. Mm-hmm. They have a fundamental contempt for human beings or humanity as a concept and like they wish to exist only as individuals in competition ruthless competition with everyone else and they cannot conceive of a world in which that is not the case and they are in in fact creating one in which it is so megan mccardle once again probably the greatest all-star in chapo history (laughs) campus security was not called unlike the grenfell episode but you know we're, we've got chiller vibes now. We're on the Marianne. Yeah, trip. exactly. Ever since Marianne came into my life, I just can't get as angry as I used to. <laughs> well, I hope it will not affect the quality of the show. I think that just about does it for this week. Mm-hmm. So, till next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah.